Hey y'all, I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, we all examine and feel responsible for our part in institutionalized racism. Everyone should have to read James Baldwin in school. And we're giving Barry Jenkins a Beaver Talk Oscar. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television. The glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Talk. Good morning. Good morning. I feel so like, I don't know, it's sunny. It's like insane in New York City these days. It's very gorgeous. It's very buzzy. I think I got sunburned yesterday. What? Yeah, because it was so cloudy, you know, and you don't suspect the sun. Oh, yeah, you got to start doing that SPF. And um, yeah, I I went home and I was so drained, you know, when you're drained from the sun. And then Mm -hmm. I was like, am I sunburned? It was just, I was blindsided by the whole weather of it all. I felt kind of the same. Like I was outside in the day and then I went to a friend's birthday in the evening and I was like chilled. You know that chilled feeling you have when you've been outside all day Mm -hmm. in the sun and Mm -hmm. it's like, ooh, I'm kind of cold. Wow. Wow. Though. Spring in New York. Happy to feel that after the winter. Yeah, although I wish my landlord would turn my heat off because I feel like constantly sweating. Oh, yeah, you have that centralized heat. Yeah, it's tough. That's insane. I don't know how you live with it. I rage text my landlord like every day. Are you close to your landlord? Um, In my mind. (laughs) You feel entitled to the relationship? I'm also having hot flashes from breastfeeding. Oh, nice. So it's just a whole thing. It's a whole situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know how you put up with, like, I remember we went to your Oh, my air conditioner is in. Yeah, but. And it's on. The (laughs) fact that your radiator is, like, blasting heat. I don't know how you survive. Yeah, it's tough. It's ridiculous. I'm here to tell you. What can you do? I mean. Do you guys have an air conditioner ready to go? Yeah, no. Well, we have centralized. Or not centralized. I always feel like you're, like, a hopeless dove. I'm a because your dove? first summer in New York, you refused to get one. And I would tell you every day you need to get a fucking air conditioner. Oh, my God. And, and I you wouldn't s- do it. And I then know. I had to go out and buy you one because I was just sick of it. I couldn't. The thought of you being in your apartment at night in the summer without one just really gave me anxiety. Oh, my God. It was so bad. I had a sore throat for like 10 days because I was just like so depleted from not having. People don't understand how hot it is in totally. New York. Totally. And they think that they, they can get by yeah. with a fan and they can't. You absolutely Just cannot. get it. Here to tell you. I actually came across that picture the other day of you and Sal installing my air conditioner <laughs> in my apartment. It's the best. One of my finest moments. Oh, it was the best. It was like you were my fairy godmother. Well, it's out here, people. <laughs> what can I say? There's nothing to say. Yeah, it's really bad. And I had no idea. Well, because where I'm from, like, you're kind of an idiot if you got an air conditioner because it's like, it's hot for maybe a week in the year. And then right. the rest of the time, it's like either freezing cold or kind of moderate. So like, yeah, why would you? I wasn't going to let you suffer for longer than a month. What t- yeah. When did you move to New York? What month was it? Was July. It- July? <laughs> Middle of July. Height of summer. Oh. In August, I just remember. I was like, like, it's so hot here. And I was like, yeah, Diana. <laughs> yes, it is. And I could not believe it. And I would just like go... <laughs> I would just like be going obviously to work every day, but then going out every night as you do when you first move to the city. Mm-hmm. And I just remember not ever feeling like I could escape 
heat. Yeah. I was just like, oh my God, this is next level. Yeah. I remember like the hot air like blowing on me when I would leave the building it's and disgusting. I would just be like, oh my God, this is so crazy. It's like somebody has a hair dryer and they're just like waving it in your face all the time. Yeah. Oh, I'm a little nervous actually to, to do that with a child yeah. clinging to me because yeah. it's just, she's already makes me so hot. Totally. <laughs> oh my God. Babies are like little like heat factories. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. Just put her. Just be naked all the time maybe. Sure. <laughs> Go for it. I mean, be like your hippie mother self. Yeah. I'm into it. Amen, amen. Um, I'm excited to talk to you today. Did you just say amen, amen? <laughs> oh, what the? We're, taking, we're going to Beaver Talk Church with this movie. Oh, man. Tell me I... about this movie and because you recommended it. Yeah. So we're talking about if Beale Street could talk today, which is just, I mean, Betty's... You don't always need to watch the movies that we're talking about because we usually just dive in and spoil them all anyways. But if you're yeah. interested in this movie, I think you need to press pause on this episode. This is watch a must it, watch. Must watch. If Beale Street could talk, it's on Hulu right now. Which couldn't be easier. Yeah. Phenomenal. It was like, where's this movie? How do I find it? You were like, Hulu. It's like, great. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Done. Um, it's directed by Barry Jenkins. He also adapted the screenplay from James Baldwin's book. Um. I loved Moonlight. I thought Moonlight was one of the best movies I've ever seen. Haven't seen it. Cool. <laughs> and so I was really excited about this. The trailers the trailers were beautiful for this movie in the sense they didn't really give anything away. Like you kind of didn't it's kind of it was this interiority almost for it where it's like you either knew what that book was or you didn't mm-hmm. and you just had to wait and see the movie or you had to go out and find the book. And I I love that kind of marketing strategy where it trusts the audience so much to like Either get it or well, you I don't. Well, I think we knew it was a romance. Yeah, but that's it's so specific that right. they adapted this book. And I really, I love the way they handled this from the beginning. Um, it stars Regina, <clears throat> excuse me, it stars Regina King as a mother. Um, and it's a love story between two people in 1970s Harlem. Um, Do we know their names, actually? Yeah, so his name Stephen James plays Alonzo, or Fani is the nickname Fonny. they have for him, and Kiki Lane plays Tish. Mm-hmm. And Tish and Fani fall in love, and she gets pregnant, and he is uh, sent to jail for a crime he did not commit, uh, the rape of a woman. Um, and that whole sequence is just so devastating. But uh, what, uh, I have so many things that I just absolutely loved about this movie. And Regina King won the Oscar for it, um, as well as the Golden Globe and the Screen Actors Guild Award. Like, she just kind of clean swept with this one. But nothing for Barry Jenkins on any front. I – go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, what made me want to watch this movie is that it got completely shut out by Hollywood. And I was like, something's going on here. Yeah. And I watched it, and I was like – Oh, it's like above and beyond and calls everybody out on like what's going on. So I haven't seen Moonlight, which is I'm formally apologizing for. It's like one of those things that's been on my list. I just haven't seen it. It's also on Hulu, I believe. Oh, really? Perfect. I think so. Well, get right into it. Do my homework. Um, but I will say I texted you right after this and said, how many Oscars did this movie win? Because it's... I mean, we're going to get into all of the the nuances of everything, but I have I felt I feel like sometimes you are privileged enough to step into a world of a film 
And Barry Jenkins delivered from the very first shot. Like I knew within the first 30 seconds where we were going, how this movie was going to feel, the intention behind the visuals and the colors and the cast. I was like, I'm in great hands. This is going to be a privilege and a joy to watch. Um, And I was mortified that it did not win and that it wasn't nominated for more. Like I couldn't actually wrap my head around the fact that the Oscars this year celebrated Green Book and did not celebrate if Bill Street could talk. Like where, what the fuck happened? Yeah. Yeah. It was really, when Green Book won, I was like, okay, I need to watch. Was Beale Street even nominated for Best Picture? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Um, And Moonlight won two years ago. And so he's definitely, I mean. But he should win for this one too. Oh my God. This movie is phenomenal. Everything about this movie works so tightly together. And I completely agree with you that from like the very first frame of this film, you know exactly what it's going to do. And you know. You just, you feel like you're in good hands. You feel like you trust this isn't like that it's going to be good. I don't know how to describe it. I just felt like Barry Jenkins had such a clear vision for exactly how he wanted to tell this story. Totally. And exactly what he wanted to pull from the book and exactly how he wanted to bring these characters to life in the world they live in. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything worked so seamlessly together. I felt like the, mu- the music in this movie is... <gasps> the music. Devastating. What now... I didn't do any research about this, but the music felt so nostalgic in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like I, it felt like something we had heard or we had known or we had loved or it just, it, it was gorgeous. Yeah. Barry Jenkins used to work as a sound technician. So in Ooh. all of his movies, music plays, music and sound play like a very big part. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the color, like I'm thinking of the shot where she's walking, they're walking down the street together. She's wearing a yellow jacket. He's wearing... Um, his red flannel jacket and there's like blue light coming down from the street. It's just like... It's so beautiful. Stunning. And the time period that this film is harkens from and all of the costumes and, you know, New York and really beautiful, just gorgeous. And then there's these times because it's told from Tish's point of view. I loved that. Yes. I knew that we were in for kind of a, you know, a ro- like romance. It's about both of them, but it was from her perspective. And there was something so, I don't know, refreshing about yeah. that romance that was told from her identity that felt very new or, or something. Well, it was so, I, what I really loved about it is she's working so hard to try and clear Fani. She's trying to get him out of prison and try mm-hmm. and throwing all this money that she may or may not really have into lawyer fees, into, you know, reopening documents, into fighting the court case, essentially. Um, And her and her mom are just so nuanced. And there's such a quiet subtlety to both of them that it's like not this like big performance and it's not super loud. The whole the whole tone of If Beale Street Could Talk is very quiet. Mm even though there are these incredibly devastating, life-changing things that are happening to all the characters. I felt like the writing in this movie was so phenomenal because I had, I was watching it kind of on and off in between being with Ginny. Yeah. And so I had the subtitles on and I was so blown away by the simplicity of like how they were telling, there was something so succinct and so intentional about every word chosen. Yeah. And I wondered too if that was because 
the book, you know, means so much to so many people. And the script felt so intact in a way that the story just like no frame was wasted, as you've said before. Yeah. Um, But the writing was just like so juicy and just as you said it was quiet it was like just enough that you just were on the edge of your seat you know really just falling in love and the two actors that play Fani and Tish I I feel like I have not seen a film where I was like so in love Mm -hmm. with I was like insatiated by them like obsessed completely they're so charming like every frame you're just like I couldn't take my eyes off them I haven't like rooted for a couple. I feel like there hasn't been a couple on screen for like a long time that like you really root for. You know, those mm-hmm. like couples we used to like rally around when we yeah, were teenagers. Sure. Of, like we need to be like, yeah, you know, the couple from the notebook or the couple from whatever. Right. I feel like this was the first time in a long time that I was like, oh, my God, I am so deeply rooting for these two people. Yeah. And I really wanted it to like, I, I, I mean, Barry Jenkins doesn't really tell these kind of stories, but I really like had a hope that like it was going to be this big love story and there was going to be this huge redemptive quality for somebody in this film. And she does have the baby and it it, like is they have their family and it's like, can I just say that that scene where she has the baby and you're underneath the bathtub and you just see, I was like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Stunning, gorgeous. And then to see that baby on her, that was such a few beautiful scene. I know. The other scene I really loved in this movie is when um, Tish's dad and Fonny's dad are sitting at the bar together. Yes, yes, And talking yes. about how they have to start basically like doing something illegal Hustling. in order to... Save their children. Save their children. And they're like, there are kids. Like, we have to do it. And there's right. such the sense of community and responsibility that everybody feels to these two people. Yeah. And I think that what Beale Street does in such a beautiful way is shows like the ripple effect of community and the ripple effect of taking care of your own and and what that means and how it manifests differently for different people. But really that through line of like what it is to love someone so deeply and unconditionally that they're a part of your life no matter what. Well, I thought one of the most interesting things about this film is there's obviously so much institutionalized racism and so much that's happening in the outside world that the parents to me felt like we can't protect them. So we need to like step outside the confines of this like structural social scene and like do what we have to do to help them get by. Yeah. And there were so many different levels of, of that. And I think the family dynamic added such an interesting thing especially like with the mother Mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts about like the beginning of seeing the mom who basically is against her having the baby thinks it's a sin seems to have a real religious you know perspective and has these there's a scene where basically they tell um where tish's family tells fanny's family you know, we're having the baby and the two sisters kind of reminded me of like the stepsisters mm-hmm. from Cinderella. There yeah. was such a, like a wickedness about them, mm-hmm. but we didn't really see the mom too much after that scene. Right. Yeah. They really just like planted that scene and then didn't really pick it up. And I wonder if that's more of a thing in the book maybe. Oh yeah, probably. And also just adding some kind of emotional conflict of not everything is all love in this you know, family. Totally. And maybe just like wanting, you know, her not seeing that as like abundance and joy, but seeing it as like the perpetual, like it's going to be hard for her, those kids now. And it's going to be tough for them to raise this kid. And maybe it's like a little bit of her being like, 
not wanting the hard things for her kids, but wanting them to like thrive and not put boundaries in their ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I also can't speak to this totally because I'm not a person of color, but there, there seems to be that also the really institutionalized religious, there's something kind of inherently like self-hating about it as well. And there were some, definitely some kind of racial threads that were, that seemed kind of evident of the way that they were treating each other. Even the love in that relationship, it was, it was just there. I'm sure there's a lot to unpack there. And I'm sure, yeah. as you said, the book really probably dives into to so much more. The nuances of that. Correct. Yeah. The other thing that really made me want to watch this movie, I, I forgot to mention this, but my dad texted me that he was like, hey, Diana, like, what's up? Like, I <laughs> I just watched this amazing movie the other night called If Beale Street Could Talk. Have you heard of it? And I was like, excuse me, what? <laughs> what? Is your dad a film? No. Yeah, and he I lives in like a mountain town. Like, I like, know your like, mom what is, is happening? our film aficionado. Right. Pat Matthews is our in-house film crit- critic. Yeah. But... um. <laughs> I was like, excuse me? And he's like, this is probably one of the best movies I've seen mm-hmm. ever. Like, He's like, this is top five I've ever seen in my life. Wow. If not top three. Like he just like kept shrinking like the margin for what this fit yeah. into. And so that also made me really want to watch it. Because I was like, well, if your dad's what is into happening? Yeah, got to get on board. Just like if it has that much of an emotional impact on someone, you're like, what is this movie? Yeah. Um, But yeah, it was, it's really... I think what's interesting about the mother going back to that mm-hmm. is how she juxtaposes Regina King's character mm. because Regina King's character <sighs> literally is just, she's such the embodiment of love mm. and the embodiment of like quiet strength. Yeah. And the other woman is like the embodiment of fear and yes. the embodiment of like a little bit. You said like that self-loathing characteristic. Right. I feel like Regina King's character is just so much like make the best of every situation. Mm-hmm. Like this is not ideal, but this is life. And I think that that scene really dug in not so much to show what Fonny's mom is like, but to really show what Regina King's character is like by contrast. Right. Well, it was so beautiful the way that they shot her telling her mom that she's pregnant yeah. and like the shame of that a little bit. And then having Regina King tell the family and like pour the alcohol and be like, we're having a celebration. Yeah. Setting the intention. Yeah. Even though the news probably could have gone either way and really kind of being the one to actually tell the family. Yeah. Well, and her dad was not into it initially. Like he was really concerned. Sure. Um, So I think that that far more than like establishing Fonny's mom's character, I think it was used to establish... Regina King's character and kind of how she acts for the rest of the movie where she really shows up fully for both of these two kids. Yeah. Can we talk about Puerto Rico? Oh, man. So in that vein, Regina King goes to Puerto Rico to try to find the one key witness who is raped and ends up finding her. And they have this kind of confrontation, um, which is so gut-wrenching because you can tell the woman – is has clearly been victimized, the Puerto Rican woman who was raped. And they're just, they're not even on, they're not talking the same language. And to see her kind of show the picture of the couple and say like, this wasn't him. And, and even to have her admit that the police told her who to pick out and still it seems like nothing will come of it. I think there was part of me that was like, is she going to get on a plane? Like, is this, are we just seeing the worst of this conversation? I was really hopeful that maybe 
it would be turned around. That was really, that was a hard scene. Yeah, I think what that scene really, like, drove home for me was that, like, there is no justice happening in any facet of this. Mm. Obviously, no justice happening for Fani because he stays in prison and takes a plea deal. Yeah. Um, and no justice for the woman. She's com- Her life is completely ruined. Like, she is a shell of her right. former self. And, like, even with someone sitting in jail, the wrong man sitting in jail, there's no re- there's no resolve for her. Right. It's just this incredible miscarriage of justice for is like the understatement of the century. But mm-hmm. the way that the cops put this woman against this other man who both of them are victims now in this situation. And they're both people of color too, which I thought uh, was interesting. And to the fact she can't even like stay in New York. Like it's like right. she has to leave. She has to completely leave and go back home. Um, it's just, I think it showed again the ripple effect of like the devastation of lives through victimization. Yeah. It's so heavy. Yeah. It, 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 it we're, I mean, there's all these themes definitely and def and more to talk about too, because I think one of the things that I really thought was interesting is kind of the role that the white man plays in this film. But I will say, as we're talking about it, it's the film is so beautifully shot that even despite all of these heavy themes, you know, we're we're seeing these kids fall in love, mm-hmm. and there's so much joy and there's so much passion, and it's there's so much innocence. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it. I mean, I and the story is it's kind of like their first love, yeah. And you feel that fully. So even though it is heavy and theme, it's not too totally. I mean, it is and it isn't. Totally. There's a, such think, a beautiful balance, maybe. Oh, there's such a balance to it. And there's such a simplicity to it as well. You know, these are big, as you said, these are big themes that are playing on a multitude of different levels. And it's the specificity of their love story. But then it's also like the generalization of racism in the 70s and a corrupt police force and all of these different aspects playing together. But there were parts of this movie that, like, my heart was just, like, soaring. Mm-hmm. Like, when they go and look at the, in the old warehouse space... That's going to become their apartment. I have a question about the space. Yes. So is that the space that then he's doing all the sculpturing in yeah. later? Okay. Yeah, I believe so. I, I thought so too, but I it kind of took me a beat to like, yeah. oh, those are the windows. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I was like, is that the same space? Yeah. They did a great job transforming it. Great job, kids. Um, and then the other aspect of this movie that really like made my heart sore was breaking the fourth wall. And staring into the camera mm, and yes. delivering lines directly into the camera mm-hmm. was such a smart choice to make by the director. Sorry, I'm moving my chair. I love that you're just like going up and down on this chair right Sorry. now. <laughs> I felt like I was sinking. Oh, no. Um, oh, I love that. I love like at the be- in the very beginning. It felt seamless, though. I didn't feel. Oh, it was so beautifully done. It didn't feel jarring. No. And like in the very beginning when they're walking through the park and then they face each other and that's when they start talking directly into the camera. Then when they're in the jail um, for visitation and they're talking into the camera between the glass. Mm. And then when he's like pretending to move the furniture and he looks directly into the camera while that's happening. Like it just was such a beautiful. um, I feel like we have to talk about that scene. I don't even know. What scene? The furniture scene. I love that scene. Tell me about it. They're like going to view this apartment with, Dave Franco, which was such a random cameo. <laughs> that was truly random. I loved it, though. I wasn't mad at it. <laughs> but I was also, 
it, it did startle me. Yeah. I was like, is that Dave Franco? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the place is just a mess. I mean, it's an empty warehouse. Right. It's like exactly as you would picture an empty warehouse. And there's like cords and cords and exposed dust and, oh, and well, yeah. layers of dirt. For Everything sure. is filthy. And Tish is like, I'm sorry, what is happening? We're not moving in here. Like, this is a joke. And Fonny is like, no, like, come on, like, picture it. You can have your kitchen over here. The bathroom's over here. Da, 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 da. And she's just like shaking her head. Like, have you lost your mind? And then he does this really sweet thing where he like goes over to the space and there's nothing. I cannot stress enough how much there is nothing in this warehouse. Mm-hmm. And he like goes to pick up like. And he's like, hey, can you help me with this? And Dave Franco's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, can you help me move this fridge? We need to move it into the kitchen. And they, like, pretend to move furniture into the space. (laughs) And I, like, could not. I was, like, oh, it was so beautiful. The charm that exuded from these actors, I cannot state enough. It oozed out of them. They're such movie stars. It was phenomenal. Like, such a joy to watch them. Yeah. Couldn't take my eyes off no. them. Again, I say it. I said it before I'll say it again. Yeah. The performances in this movie, I mean, and the performances in Moonlight, like, Barry Jenkins obviously just really draws out incredible work from his actors. Um, but it was a totally different level. I, like, can't throw up Betty's. I, like, can't say enough. Like, this movie, there are parts of it that are just, you can't, it's almost, like, terrible to do a podcast episode about it because I can't even so put beautiful. into words yeah. the beauty of this movie. Can we talk about the white men? Yes. In this movie. I I think you know people have people say that privilege is like air that you don't really recognize it until it's gone and I feel like this movie and it reminded me so much of why stories of marginalized people and people whose experiences aren't always seen on screen are so important. Because I think it, as a white woman, you're you're constantly like trying to create empathy and understanding. And I don't think anything really transforms your heart like a story mm-hmm. and like being in the shoes of somebody who is not yourself and not your experience. And I think to see these poor kids go up against basically all these horrible experiences that really are doing them a disservice and a, and a miscarriage of justice, as you said, for being black was so painful and also so important to tell. Mm-hmm. I That's it. That's all I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that one of the scenes that really wasn't, it's so, it was so important to include it. And I think, you know, Barry Jenkins gave it a lot of space was when Fonny is talking to his friend before Tish come home, comes home from work. Mm. And they're talking about the white man. And they're talking about how resistant they both feel to participating in it. Like, you know, just being another cog in the wheel, just being another um, way to facilitate capitalism, way to facilitate exploitation. Mm -hmm. Um, But how much they both see such a full life for themselves and Mm. like how how much of that is just participating in the game and like there's this whole conversation that the two of them have that's mirrored really well to the conversation that Fonny's dad and Tish's dad have in the bar um that's you know talking about the perpetuation of slavery as a means to keep people marginalized and as a means to keep people out of positions of not even power but even just a position where they can like live their life yeah um, 
And I think that one of the things I really deeply appreciated about this was the way that they show Tish just like going to work and trying to pull together any means necessary to, you know, prepare for this baby who's on the way mm-hmm. while furthering her partner's court case while trying to figure out, you know, what the future holds for herself. Like it's just the overwhelm could have been so stifling. And instead you just kind of see these people and Tish specifically really step up and really make not even the best of a situation because it's not even that gleaming. It's not even that redemptive, but really just kind of take a big breath and be like, okay, like we got to, we have to do what we have to do. Right. And I think it's just such a reminder of like how much privilege we have Mm -hmm. that like even the everyday existence of getting up and and going to work and even showing her at the, the perfume counter and having those white men hold her hand and like make her feel like you could feel that was such a, a beautiful scene of like what that feels like as a woman. And the men from her community judging her for working the counter. Mm. And the the fact she's kind of getting it from both sides. Right. And how then sexism becomes in play. You know, racism is such a big part of the film. But sexism for Tish becomes a very specific experience mm-hmm. that she doesn't share with Fani. Right. And so that's interesting too. And even the scene when she jumps between Fani and the cop uh, when Fani like kicks the guy out who's harassing her in the bodega. Right, right. And he's like, don't ever try to protect me. Like, that's not what this is. And she, yeah, it just, and it's like a flashback and you realize like how much she does for him and how like there's that equality between the two of them. That's really beautiful. Yeah. I did love that bodega store owner who stepped oh right God. out and was like, Back it up, police officer. Like, I'm, like I, this is my corner of the block. I'll be here before, you know, I was here before you were born. I'll be here after. Yeah. And you can keep it walking. Yeah. The strength of women in this film is really remarkable. Phenomenal. Oh, I love this movie. The end. One of, the, I think, the most heartbreaking. I mean, obviously, he does not get out of um, prison. Yeah. I'm going to cry. But I loved the that his whole thing was that he wanted to build them a table. No, I am crying. (laughs) And to see them, like that wide shot of them at the prison. Yeah. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. (laughs) Yeah. He takes a plea for a crime he didn't commit, which is very common. Yeah. For men of color. Um, And it's something that is constantly being talked about, you know, through conversations around prison reform, but to really see it through the eyes of these two young people is very humbling. And I don't, and I'm not crying. I think because it was sad, I think I'm crying because Barry Jenkins kept the love in that room and they made that table, a family table and they share, even though it was vending machine food, it felt like they were sitting down for a Thanksgiving feast. Yeah. Like the power and the love between those two and then their son. It was it was absolutely remarkable. And it was a gorgeous film. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I really loved about that scene was the kid is uh, coloring a coloring book. Um, and the Fani asks to see like what he's working on. And like, you know, he's just coloring in the few of the pages with him. And he he takes a pause and he looks at Tish and Tish is like, yeah, ever since I told him he can't stop writing that word and you never find out what the word is. Mm. And there's like this trust in the audience that like, it's almost worse for you to imagine what that word could be than if you were ever actually shown the word. Right. 
that really knocked the wind out of me. What did you think the word is? I don't know. That's such a good question. It definitely had something to do with Bonnie, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say something that's very weighted that the kid looks to be about 10, Mm -hmm. I would say. Maybe eight. Oh, he's playing with a coloring book, so he's younger. Six or seven. Yeah, yeah, six or seven. Um, So it's a word that he's probably too young to know. To know. Or it's like a word that he like. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. It just really like could go so many different ways. Yeah, I wonder if you find out what the word is in the book. Again, I really wish I could have. Well, now we can start a book book. club and and read the book. We should start a Beaver Talk book club. Did you ever read any James Baldwin in college? No. No. Which is a shame. Yeah. I took a black philosophy class and we got to read some James Baldwin and some other really great. It was one of my favorite classes. Amazing. Although I feel going back in my brain, I definitely wasn't um, aware enough about racial issues as a, I think it took me a long time to figure out my feminism and to figure out the injustices of the world. I feel like I, my mother, I always am hard on her about creating this suburban bubble for us. Um, so I don't know what kind of white shit I said in that class. <laughs> Probably a lot. Oh, so much. <laughs> I remember specifically once being like saying I wasn't racist in the class out loud in front of black people and being like, oh, we're all racist. We we all carry these institutionalized, you know, thoughts and feelings and just not being self-aware at all. And so I apologize well, to my no, other I class. Think when mates. you know better, you do better. Right. And I think that this is, there's this book called White Fragility that Umera flat out can't stop talking about. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm going to have to read it because it deals with all of this and like it deals with um, the guilt and like the shame that white people carry, but also how that's like a privilege to carry that and 100%. how you don't need to be apologetic for your existence because that doesn't actually further equality yeah, or get rid of racism. So I need to read that book and I'm going to report back. Um, but this, that's kind of what it reminds me of. It's like, I think that's the cool thing about like university and education in some ways is like you took that class you were not ready for it. You no. didn't have the space for it. But then you watch this movie and do a podcast episode about it. And it circles back. That you know, you read, 10 years later. You, that you read James Baldwin. And like right. those seeds are planted and they don't go anywhere. They're just like, it's different layers of depth within you, you know? Right. Sometimes we're just not ready for it. What? Totally. I was just feeling all my anger in college <laughs> and binge we drinking. <laughs> were we all? <laughs> Amazing. Any last thoughts? Any Anything else you want to call out about it? Well, I'm going to go home and watch Moonlight because yeah. I can't even imagine where we're going to go next. And yeah. Barry Jenkins gets all the Beaver Talk Oscars. Yeah. I truly think he's a visionary, is brilliant. And the fact that the Oscars didn't recognize him is deplorable. And they should all be fired. I wonder if it's even going to matter to him. I wonder mm. if it was just so important for him to bring this story to screen that he's like, I don't need... I don't need the approval of the Academy. Ooh, I got oh. to. Well, really, though, like he's not doing it for a bunch of like old white men to give him an, a gold statue. He's doing it because he wanted to bring James Baldwin's work to life. And like he did that and he did it in a beautiful way. So I kind of I bet he doesn't even. Want he doesn't need it. Yeah. Oh, I love that. He doesn't need it. He knows he, he should get it. it, though. Anyway, I know he doesn't need it. To be clear. 
but I, as long as he continues to get his work funded and yeah, which is that's you know that's important as an I artist. Need, I need a movie from him. I also every loved Fani doing all the sculpture. Yeah, I can't get over how beautiful it was to see somebody like I don't know. You don't really get to see a sculptor or. <laughs> too much and it was just so beautiful to watch him smoking Mm -hmm. and like working around that's that studio thing that was really cool very cool oh amazing to watch it bettys enjoy it check it out betty tell us what you think also diana and i have a a instagram hello it's just beaver talk (laughs) on instagram and um we'd love for you to message us on the Beale Street could talk post. Tell us what you think. DM us. Slide into our DMs. We'll be checking. What's happening? We'll be checking all all of everything. And thanks to Kent for spending all your Wednesdays with us. Thanks, Kent. Happy Feminist Wednesday, Diana. Happy Feminist Wednesday. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production.